Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. Be sure to watch our services online each Sunday at 10 a.m. and 5 p.m. by visiting remembrancecommunity.org forward slash livestream. I hope you enjoy today's message. Happy Sunday, Remembrance Community Church. My name is Susie Lind, and I am so grateful to be with you today. Um, I love your church community, especially your leaders, Kenny and Blanca and Brittany and Ben. I love Ben kind of from afar, though. I don't really know him super well. Disclaimer, um, Brittany, she sealed that deal before we, or right after we left the South Bay in 2015 and moved here to the Nashville area. So my loss on the Ben part, but I'm hopeful for the years to come that I'll have an opportunity to get to know him as well. Well, I'm married to Steve. We've been married for 22 years, and we have four sons, Jason, who is 19 and in his second year of college, Silas, who is 16, a junior, Judah is 15, he's a sophomore, and then our bonus child, Nathan, who is nine and in the third grade. We also got a dog named Maverick. We call him the quarantine dog, um, but we named him Maverick affectionately after the surf spot in California that we got to visit before we moved away. So I'm also one of the pastors here at our home church, Journey Church. Um, We've been trying to do what you're doing. We've been trying to figure out community and God's presence and how to stay sane, loving, and hopeful in the year of 2020. So today I get to join you in your series called Fresh Glimpses of Jesus. And I love this title so much because while I was growing up in my faith, I heard people say from time to time things like, we need a fresh word from Jesus. We need a fresh filling from God. And whenever I heard that, I was often confused because it felt like people wanted to hear something that they had never heard before or something that had never been said before. And When I heard that, if I'm really honest, I wondered if God was holding something back from us or if we just hadn't attained something we were supposed to have attained. I don't know what what's meant when people say that. It's just how it kind of sat with me. So now my current understanding isn't that we need a fresh word because we actually have a lot of words. And I don't know about you, but my day-to-day life reveals that I don't always take the words of Jesus seriously. In fact, there are so many words I don't even know what to do with. So I've come to this place where I don't think we need a fresh word. We need insight into the word, Jesus and all that he has for us, all that he's provided for us. And we need eyes and vision to adjust, to see him as he is and not how we think he should be or what our earthly sight of him is or how we want him to be through our earthen vessels. We want to see who he is and all his glory and all his majesty and holiness and beauty that's already available to us for us and with us. So I have a good friend here in town who says we spend a lot of time staring at our lives and glancing at Jesus. Now, how many of you know that if you look at your own life long enough, you'll start to get a little depressed? I think what Jesus longs for us to do is to fix our gaze on him and be in awe of him and then let that awe inform us and transform us and change us as he adjusts the vision we have for our lives and our relationships and the way we order our lives, our day-to-day, and the way we live and have our being in him while we're in this world. So let's pray for that. 
Join me in prayer before we get into the word. Father, we love you. We want to open, we want to be open to your already spoken word and that's still so good. Your ancient word that is still so timely. You are the only author who's able to write something and thousands of years later, it's still current. And we can see ourselves in your words and feel what you describe and relate to the people whose stories you knew that we needed for such a time as this. So spirit, fill us with wisdom and understanding and open our hearts and our minds and lead us in the way you want us to go today. Amen. Well, my hope for you today as we open the scripture to John chapter one is that you would see a fresh glimpse of Jesus in the way that he invites us into life with him and invokes curiosity while doing so. Jesus's method of teaching more often than not involved asking a lot of really great questions. So when people asked him questions, often he would respond with another question. And what we know about God is that he's all knowing. And so he doesn't ask questions because he needs to know something. He asks us questions because we're the ones who need to know something for ourselves about ourselves or about him. So to nurture what we're going to call a holy curiosity, we have to become like Jesus and get really good at asking questions, asking good questions of God, asking questions of ourselves and asking each other really great questions. So if you can, Grab a piece of paper and a pen or open your notes app on your phone, whatever, whatever you choose to use, because I'm going to ask you a few specific questions that I'd love for you to jot down to reflect on either now in this space that we have together or later on when you have some quiet in your week. So in the first chapter of John, we hear about John the Baptist, who's preparing the way for the Lord. He came to testify to the light. He was baptizing people and he was fulfilling the prophecy from Isaiah, being the one who cried out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. Then Jesus comes on the scene and John declares, here is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pick it up in verse 35. And as I read with the note taking method of your preference, try to capture what invokes curiosity in your mind. As you hear the passage and the words that I'm going to read, or if you're going to read along, maybe you circle them or write something down. But what causes you any questions? What questions arise in you? So beginning in John chapter one, verse 35. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed him. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we've found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You're to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. 
Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? And Jesus answered, I saw you under a fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Again, take a moment and capture any thoughts or questions you have about that passage. We may or may not get to them in our time this week, but perhaps it'll prompt you into a further, deeper dive into the scripture later this week. It's an interesting story, isn't it? It's a story with a lot of little nuances about who Jesus is. We hear him being named with things like Lamb of God, names like Rabbi, Anointed One, Son of Joseph, Son of God, King of Israel, Son of Man. What I want us to try to focus our our eyes on today, though, is not just who Jesus is, but how is he with us? Not just that he is with us, but what was he like when he was with his disciples then? And how might this version of Jesus want to be be the way that he wants to be with us today? It was the writer of Hebrews that said, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if that's the case, let's look at this and, and try to imagine what Jesus was like then and how he wants to be with us today. So first, John the Baptist is like a street preacher, right? He makes this double announcement that Jesus, the Lamb of God, and two of John's disciples hear the announcement, and they instantly start following him. And we sort of get this picture that they're following to see what happens next, and there's Jesus walking along, minding his own business, and let's not forget that he's fully God and fully man, so he has this whole all-knowing thing going on, but he's letting their curiosity brew. So I imagine him walking along, occasionally turning around, and and he sees them trying to act all, all casual, but really they're probably pretty awkward. And finally, it says, Jesus turns around, saw them following, and he asks them a question. What are you looking for? And right here, the curiosity of the disciples meets the curiosity of Jesus. Curiosity that has these disciples following Jesus before they have any information that they can possibly understand. The phrase, what are you looking for? It's a a double entendre. It's on the surface a very natural question that you would ask somebody who's following you, right? But on another level, it's a reference to a deeper, more meaningful, spiritual search. 
the fulfillment of that which is present but not yet recognized. So if you recall the story of Jesus in the garden with Mary Magdalene after he's been resurrected, he appears to Mary Magdalene in the garden and he asks her, whom are you looking for? So again, with your writing instrument of choice, write this question down for your own reflection, either now in this moment or later. What are you looking for? The question invites us into a deeper relationship with Jesus through our curiosity. It stirs in us, or it ought to stir in us, a greater understanding of what our motive is in following Jesus. Often we think about Jesus and we think about, we think about God when we need something or we're, we're in want of something. And that's okay. There's no shame in that because he is our savior. But he's also not a passive-aggressive person who gets mad when you only come to him when you need something. What Jesus describes, when, when Jesus describes following him, he says crazy hard things like, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow him. And it's not an easy road to follow, he says. It's a small gate and a narrow road, but it leads to life. But he also says really great comforting things like, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me because I'm gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. Whatever our motives are for following Jesus, we can trust that God's motive towards us is always love, right? John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Love, salvation. And whatever it is that we're looking for, at the core of Jesus' invitation is the promise that he can fulfill the deepest needs of our hearts. And he's with us till the end of the age. So how we get to actually absorbing that promise and letting that promise take hold of our hearts and become fulfilled through us is the journey we get to live on a day-to-day -day basis. One of the hardest stages of parenting is when you go from parenting little kids to soon-to-be adult kids. When they're young, you're able to tell them what to do, what to eat, and for the most part, they listen. You get to decide what your family will eat and what the schedule will, is, will be like, and you even get to decide who they're going to hang out with. You have perceived control. Then they get a little bit older, and they choose their own friends. They can drive. They can make money, hopefully. And you have far less of that perceived control. The thing that makes this stage of parenting such a hard transition is that as a parent, you have to go from telling them what to do and counting on the fact that you've shown them how to live and what to do. And as different situations arise, you go from telling to coaching. You come alongside instead of kind of being more above. You ask questions to help them shape their own values, questions that help them connect their behavior to their beliefs, and ultimately questions that reveal what they're looking for, what their deepest needs are. 
they make mistakes and we make mistakes as parents. And through that relationship, the hope is that they come to an understanding of love, acceptance, grace, and forgiveness in ways that form who we become. So the disciples respond to Jesus's question, what are you looking for? By asking him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Now, they call him rabbi, acknowledging his spiritual maturity and authority that they're curious about placing themselves under. And they want to know where he's going and where he's staying. And so Jesus's response isn't an answer. I'm, I'm staying down the road at so-and-so's house or whatever, but rather an invitation. Come and see. So it says that they came and they saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. They stayed with him. Let that sit with you for a minute. What do you think he talked with them about? What do you think he told them? Did he teach them from the Torah? Did he give them a sense of belonging? Did he make them feel known? Whatever it was that happened that day, whatever they gleaned from him, it caused Andrew to go to his brother and say, we found him. We found the Messiah, the anointed one. Andrew was convinced in less than a day of who Jesus was. He was so convinced and so compelled that he couldn't help but go and invite his brother, Simon Peter. So Andrew brings his brother to Jesus, and Jesus looks at him and says, Nah, you're to be called Cephas, translated Peter, the rock. Upon this rock I will build my church, he says later on. And what else did he give him that day? Maybe a sense of being known, a sense of purpose, an idea that there's a plan for my life and it's good. Well, the next day he goes to Galilee and he, he finds Philip and he says to Philip, come follow me. And he invites Philip into something, but we don't really get much in the text about what transpires. But again, whatever it is, whatever Philip was looking for that day was found in Jesus. A holy curiosity led to something convincing because he then goes to Nathaniel and says, we've found him, the one who Moses talked about in the law and the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. And this is my favorite part. This is where it gets good because Philip is met with a skeptical, doubtful, and maybe just curious enough Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? This curious invitation begets a curious invitation. Nathaniel, you just have to come and see, man. He doesn't go into this explanation of Nazareth or trying to make a case for what a good city Nazareth actually is. He doesn't try to justify Joseph being from the lineage of, of Judah. He just says, come and see. Come see for yourself. See what you think. Experience the wonder. It takes about five minutes on any social media platform to know that and, and to feel that we're living in very skeptical times. From everything from vaccines, politics, religion, science to news, everyone is skeptical of someone and motives are questioned and assigned everywhere. What I've observed in so many conversations is this rise in binary thinking. It makes sense because when it feels like the world is shaking, our human need for security and safety wants to put people 
and things safely into categories, thing, ways that we can control them, right? Ways we can control, control narratives and outcomes. The problem is these categories are often mutually exclusive of one another, and depending on your point of view, one is good and one is bad. Think about the descriptions and labels and categories we hear so much about right now. Republican, Democrat, Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Progressive, Traditional, Conservative, Liberal, Pro-Choice, Pro-Life. I mean, there's whiplash everywhere. And we do this not just with our politics and policy, but we also do it with doctrine and current conversations on justice issues, so many things. And so let me be clear, there is truth to be found. There are things that are absolutely true when it comes to Jesus. So I'm not abandoning truth, but in our pursuit of what is true, good, and holy, that often gets sidetracked by our need for comfort, power, and approval. And that's often soothed by binary thinking. But binary thinking is the enemy of curiosity because it puts wedges between people and it keeps us from listening and hearing another person. It prevents us from seeing one another the way Jesus sees us. We see this played out all the time in relationships when binary thinking prevents us from listening with curiosity. It keeps us from speaking with honesty and acting with integrity. When we get stuck in binary thinking, we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. But when we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with the intent to reply, we listen for what's behind the words. We listen in order to love one another. We listen in an effort to love our neighbor as ourselves. We listen with this belief that God is truly at work in all people, and his greatest desire is for all to come and see that he is good and who he is. So Nathaniel goes, and Jesus immediately sees him, and he says, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And he tells them that he saw him under a fig tree using all this metaphor, illustrating that he knows Nathaniel. He knows where he comes from. And this fig tree, which is a symbol of God's abundance and shalom. Nathaniel responds, where did you get to know me? Indicating Jesus met a deep desire that we share with Nathaniel, this desire to know that we are fully known by God and at the same time fully loved and welcomed. Well, Jesus continues to nurture that holy curiosity by saying something along the lines of, if you think that's great, you're going to see far greater things than these. Albert Einstein once said, never lose a holy curiosity. That same God-given curiosity that led to his theory of relativity is what we see at work in simpler ways through the eyes of children. Who, children who ask questions about birds and colors and Legos and storybooks that we read to them at night. Curiosity that spiked when they eventually ask us about God and his movement around us. Curiosity can inspire each of us daily when we accept Jesus's invitation to come and see. When we root ourselves in truth, a holy curiosity can lead to a deepening awe that increases our faith in God. If we're honest, though, many of us come to Jesus with more questions than we have answers. In fact, 
in ancient Jewish culture, questioning wasn't viewed in the same negative light that we Westerners put doubt and arguments in. Questioning is a sign of intelligence and curiosity, and it's a highly revered practice in, in trying to understand God. Paul tells us in no uncertain terms to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Come to God with your curious questions and doubts. Come and see with a holy curiosity. Come to him with humility and dependence on him. We get a glimpse through Jesus' question, what are you looking for in this invitation to come and see? Come and remain with me for a day to a holy curiosity modeled by him. We receive this ongoing, wide open invitation to respond to his creative movements. Curiosity doesn't spring from the heart of man, but from the active spirit of God. To nurture a holy curiosity at the invitation of Jesus to come and see beckons us to surrender our will to hold loosely our own agenda and judgments of his work in others. It requires of us to submit our heart, our soul, and our mind and our strength to Christ. It's a willingness to be led by the Holy Spirit and a constant rooting of ourselves in his word. So as we move into a time of worship, Remembrance Church, let me ask you again, what are you looking for? If you don't have clarity on that answer, I've found that a big clue can be uncovered through what is currently exhausting us. So I want to lead us in a time of prayer as we, as we move into music together. Take a few moments to, to become quiet and still in God's presence wherever you are listening or watching this. Become aware of his loving presence that's with you. And recall his invitation to come to him, those who are weary and carrying heavy burdens. Without judging yourself or trying to fix anything, allow yourself to become aware of any symptoms of fatigue, whether it's physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual. What symptoms of fatigue are you experiencing in your own life right now? And maybe if you're still taking notes, you might jot down whatever it is that you're noticing. You might then invite God to show you what the source or sources of your tiredness might be. Again, without judging or trying to fix anything, we can't always think our way through these things. Instead, may we allow God to show us what he wants us to see. As you become aware of the sources of exhaustion in your own life, now you can ask God as we, as we sing, God, what are we going to do about that? Thanks for letting me be with you today. It was truly an honor. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. You can find all our sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.